Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guests. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 136. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Sam Ahmed. And I'm Siobhan Kiar. Welcome along, guys. Great to have you both here. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. Now, uh, maybe you can each introduce yourself. Just let us know where you, where you fit into the, uh, the technology world. Uh, well, my name is Sam Ahmed, and I am the technology editor for Idealog magazine. That's uh, Idealog with a G, but nothing else after that, .co.nz, and also for Stoppress. That's my little plug. That's not so little. And Siobhan? Um, I am, for the next week and a half, I am the editor of PC World. Well, great to have you back on the show, both of you. And uh, it's been a while since we've had you on, uh, Siobhan, so we're certainly looking forward to hearing your opinions today, and uh, especially to hear a little bit about E3, which you've just flown uh, flown back from Los Angeles, so uh, no doubt you've got uh, an exciting um tale or two to tell yeah i mean i can't i can't honestly tell you that i uh went out drinking every night and got into any debauchery unfortunately um but i definitely had a good time and it was really uh quite fascinating this year because of the new the two new console launches um happening beforehand everything that was coming out at e3 was very much um all about next gen Cool. All right. Well, we'll dive into that. Uh, dive into that shortly. Uh, quite a few fascinating topics to to discuss. Uh, but first up, Sim, you had the privilege of um, heading to the South Island. Yeah, just a few days it's ago. My first time in the South Island. I thought I'd take a good trip there. You know, just to see Google launch some balloons that would provide internet to the next three or four or five billion people who are unconnected at least that's the dream it sounds like a pretty cool concept so so run it run us through the trip and what the what the highlights were of uh you know of the potential of google google loon as a technology so uh google loon is a project out of their google x labs which is a really secretive uh, lab that does moonshot projects. This is higher than blue sky thinking for all you fun business folks. Um, <laughs> these are really crazy out there projects that Google thinks could be made commercial, but it's so crazy it needs to be done quite secretly. This is where uh, Google Glass came from. This is also where the uh, like self-driving cars are being made uh, in right now. Uh, so I was flown down. Uh, technically, I paid for my own flight, and then they got a charter plane anyway for some reason. I was flown down with uh, Stephen Levi from Wired and also someone from uh, the Christchurch Press. Um, we got to see a sneak peek of the launches and get a really good behind the scenes with the science. And um, uh, uh, the team there and also their chief technical architect, uh, Rich Duvall. And um, basically what I've learned from this whole trip is Google is crazy, but crazy smart. And everyone there is ridiculously clever, and yeah, it was really all inspiring what I saw there happening there. Well, it makes a lot of sense for them to be focusing on ways to get the internet out to more people because really their their success and their uh, you know their earnings come from uh, the internet being accessible to as many people as possible. So anything they can do that gets you know, good fast internet out to a broad audience uh, ends up being money in their back pocket so you know more than anyone else you can see why it makes sense for them to uh, you know to, to do cra- crazy thinking and come up with crazy new ideas on getting the internet to people Google right? wants to be the vertical market for everyone 
up there. So this will be your internet provider, the phone you use to connect to the internet, uh, the software that you use on the phone, the services and stores and things. They want to clip the ticket at every single point. And to a, to a certain degree, they've done this quite well in the Western world, and they're doing it even more. But then there's Africa, uh, emerging Asian economies, and also South America. And these are places where the internet infrastructure is still developing or undeveloped or unlikely to be developed quite well in the next five, ten years. Um, so the, what the loon balloons do is provides a, a relatively cheap way to pr- uh, broadcast wireless internet over large distances. So they, they do this by um, floating balloons up to, what is it, about twice? twice 20 kilometers uh, above ground level. Um, and it's a network of balloons spaced enough to give an overlap of about 40, kilom- uh, 40 kilometers of uh, wireless coverage on the ground. And um, uh, there's some weird reports that it's a satellite-powered uh, internet. It's not. It's from a ground station that's connected to a fixed line. So all you need is one area that has okay internet infrastructure that beams up to the balloons. The balloons act as like a mesh network that connects from one to another to another. So as long as they don't lose too many balloons, as long as they've got enough on a particular... Because um, they, they go on a circuit around the world, don't they? Yes. So you don't actually end up with a balloon that sits you know, above your area. No. You've got to have lots and lots and, and lots of balloons. And that's the magic of this all. Because, um, that keep uh, moving past, right? A, a lot of other scientists have tried and failed to keep a balloon stationary above the ground. That's a lot of energy required. Instead, it's just easier to let it flow around, but have it, have it cheap enough that you can make them en masse and just have them floating around the world constantly. And this sounds like a strange idea, but it's not something we would ever see from the ground. It's so small, you wouldn't be able to see it with your naked eye. And they get power through solar and, and wind mechanisms, and then with that power, they can actually direct yes. uh, direct the balloons and also uh, transmit that internet signal, pass it on to other balloons, and yeah, et cetera. Yeah. And um, it's also... The amazing thing is, uh, Rich Duvall said... Almost all the parts you can buy from, like, the Radio Shack in the U.S., so, like, J-Car or uh, Dick Smith here. So, it's nothing really amazing. It's uh, that these balloons aren't really amazing, but the amount of thought that went into putting the different bits together is what took so long. Uh, And it was about a two-year-long project to get to here. And how cool is it that uh, New Zealand was uh, was picked to uh, to, to sort of do, do do this launch? Yeah. So... Have you had a look at the numbers and and done some number crunching to work out if they were actually going to do this on a on a global basis or or even you know one particular um, area around the world? Because I guess we we you know would divide the planet up into a whole lot of sort of slices and they would you know spin around um, you know at a at a particular um, you know level of degrees from. The equator. So, or have, sorry, how, I asked how, you how many that? would be needed to? Uh, yeah. So how many would? Do you know those, those are numbers, numbers that um, that were shared? You have to remember these are real prototypes. There's no product launching yet. This yeah. is just a, a, a proof of concept. And but I uh, guess they were talking about a particular distance between each one and so on. You could probably do the maths to say, well, if one, if you were to cover around the equator, for instance. Um, you know, to have a continuous stream of balloons that would move right around. You're probably talking... Um, That's not a number I managed to get from them, but uh, yeah. it took about six balloons to go from Tekapo in South Island to just a bit off the coast of Christchurch. So 
that it left somebody with coverage for what fifteen minutes in one of the examples. Yeah, yep. it's so you it's a very to, small you have window. To have, you'd have to have it continuously. Going you'd have to have so, probably yeah. thousands or tens of thousands of them to cover a particular area yeah. on a constant basis, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and we only launched about thirty here in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. So you know, I think this is a, a really fascinating story, and I'm really keen to see whether whether they can make this this thing work. Uh, Google certainly got the. The money and uh, and the and the desire. So if it's possible, uh, they would seem like the guys to make it happen. Cool. All right. Now, so Siobhan, back to you on E three. Yeah. Um, what were the sort of the, the standout things? What what were you least expecting that you saw, and what was uh, you know what did you see that was you know, a bit ho hum, but disappointing for you? Um, the the thing that I was least expecting, I would say, was for PlayStation to just come out and um, say, we're not going to put any limitations on used games, we're not going to have any kind of uh, necessary internet connection to play single-player games, and then to really rub it in. <laughs> um, wh- like, the reason I wasn't expecting this was, before E3, um, I-, I understand it from a st- strategic point of view, because it'll lead to sales for them, and it means amongst the core gaming market, they've essentially already won. But... Um, why I wasn't expecting it was that I thought they were all on board with the DRM thing too, you know, and I was kind of, beforehand, uh, Microsoft had said, this is what we're going to do, and everyone had gotten really outraged, and I kind of went, well, I think that PlayStation is probably going to come out and say the same, the exact same things, and then what it, What are these core gamers going to do? They're just going to have to accept it. Um but, yeah, I wasn't expecting PlayStation to come out and just basically beat Microsoft into the ground. Uh, it was really quite cringeworthy to watch. But, yeah, because uh, they're, they're basically saying that, it's, you know, that the PlayStation 4 will be just like the PlayStation 3 and that if you've got a game that you want to sell on Trade Me, share with a friend, etc., yeah. you just you know, hand them the disc and, uh, and away they go. They can play that game. Yeah. They literally made a video like demonstrating exactly that. That, that was pretty entertaining, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're just, they're, they're just rubbing it in. Um, so that was kind of the most unexpected thing. Um, the, in terms of games, the best thing that I saw uh, was Destiny, which is um, made by the same guys, Bungie, who made the original Halo. Um, and they're still doing like a sci-fi first-person shooter thing, but it's got MMO elements and um, and it looks incredible in terms of graphics. And I just think it's going to be super cool. Um, the worst thing I saw, huh? Uh, probably, oh gosh, probably something for um, a handheld device or something because they're always really terrible. Um, I think there was a lot of uh, kind of confusion about um, Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare, but I think that that's actually going to be awesome, personally. <laughs> it looked pretty cool. I like the ad. Yeah, yeah, it was super... Like, I love the whole fake-out with the battlefield music and flashing up the world warfare and then it being Plants vs. Zombies. It was just fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. The, okay, I would say that the worst thing that I uh, noticed while I was at E3 was um, at the EA press conference, there was a guy uh, who was l- like the president of ultimate, the Ultimate Fighting Championships or something. And he mm-hmm. was um, on stage 
talking with the EA guys about um, what you want from a UFC game, and he just keeps saying stuff like, uh, you always wanted to know what it's like to be punched in the face. And I'm going... No, you I'm good. You probably don't want to know that. Yeah, that's yeah. an achievement I don't want to unlock. <laughs> yeah. So, fine. so getting to E3 in person, how does that compare with reporting on it from, uh, yeah, from New Zealand? Um, it has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, you can't really report on stuff as, quite as live as you want to when you're there, which is quite strange uh, because when you're sitting at your desk and you have like. Uh, you know, you can have your Twitter feed going on one side, you can have a notepad thing going on the other side so you're writing up a story as you go and then you can send it off right away whereas when you're actually there you have all kinds of internet issues and it just doesn't happen um, And you're having to run back and forward from one venue yeah, to the from, other and Yeah, you know. and to go to the media room so you can get proper Wi-Fi um, and even then, you know, you're lucky if it works. Although it was pretty good this year, I have to say. Um, what but- would you say is the biggest trend that came out of all this? Uh, so if if one year was, I don't know, 3D gaming, if that was ever a trend, but what would this year's be? Um, I would say that there's a trend towards... Um, that, well, there was definitely a lot of new series that there, wa- there weren't series it's not series is it series there are a bunch of new ones um that we wouldn't like you wouldn't see last year or the year before because it was like new console generations bring in new ips and um without those new consoles we wouldn't be seeing stuff like titanfall uh which is ea's new mech first-person shooter, which looks mm. really cool. We wouldn't be seeing stuff like Destiny, uh, Watch Dogs. All of that stuff would be considered too much of a risk. I was really surprised that Dishonored, um, which was a game that did really well last year, uh, new IP, end of a console generation, I was really surprised that that got funding at all. Mm-hmm. Well, E3... There's probably a lot more that we could delve into it, but we did get to some coverage last week. And for those that didn't uh, catch it, we did a sort of a special episode after our normal weekly uh, episode that you can uh, you can listen into. So there's a bit of commentary uh, there if you want to hear a little bit more about E3. Uh, moving on to some other topics. Now, we spoke uh, last week about the Fitbit Flex, uh, but I think I got the price wrong, so I just wanted to correct that. It's 159.95 as the retail price. It is now available in New Zealand. Uh, Siobhan, you've been uh, you've been using the Fitbit Flex. Yeah, I what's actually. Your, what's your take? I wore it the whole time I was at E3, and as you can imagine, I was doing a lot of walking and stuff. Good on you. Um, I I think it's interesting if you um, it, I mean, it tells you how many steps you take in a day, right? But it won't. It doesn't know whether you're carrying furniture or you're wearing high heels or you know, like that that stuff that actually makes a little bit of an impact. Um. <laughs> You can kind of log some activities. I don't think I'd want my Fitbit to know if I was wearing high heels. <laughs> no, I'm not sure we'd want to know about that, that, that either. So. No, no, let's <laughs> let's keep that under wraps. Um, but one of the one of the things that I thought was really cool was the sleep tracking, because um, I, I don't know, I really found it interesting to quantify my sleep in that way and go, 
okay, so last night I only had 86% sleep efficiency. Uh, what? And then I look, went back and I looked at my like food intake and stuff and, mm-hmm. w- and found, you know, my sleep efficiency was at its lowest when I'd been drinking. So, and it, it, it didn't necessarily have to be much. It might be like I had two glasses of wine. And so how, how, does it, how does it measure your sleep efficiency? What's that based on? Well, it's purely movement. So it's kind of, it's a bit funny to me because I think people move in their sleep a little bit. Um, so, but it definitely is still reflective of an overall sleep pattern. It just may not be quite accurate because it's, it counts any movement as you waking up. Right, right. So the, that sort of tossing and turning and so on obviously has an impact. And I yeah. guess there's there's some levels where that could be could be useful. I think this information is going to become um, more and more useful as as we're able to take this information and maybe you know connect it back to uh, you know your GP, your healthcare provider, that they're able to get you know, f- you know a lot more information you know about your your health that they don't actually get today i think you know longer term you know the fitbit flex and the other you know devices uh nike and there's other fitbits and there's you know other companies that are providing these sorts of things this is really just the first of the mainstream products that are going to become really useful in terms of feeding back information about our health what's your pick Uh, on that i for one can't wait for the day where our insurance companies gives us a fitbit and and monitors us until you know if we're having a bad day they'll up the premium that day that sounds terrible yes Uh, (laughs) i'm a user user pays yeah Yeah. user pays i mean it it, It wouldn't surprise me it it wouldn't surprise me at all watch what you eat and what your exercise is and balance it out and say you're uh, we need to put another 15 dollars on your annual Annual premium. But, well, I think that sort of thing would, you know, incentivizes good behavior. And there, I guess there's a gamification thing as well, <laughs> yeah. you know, associated with, with how we live our lives. And if, you know, if you're actually getting some points for getting out and doing some, uh, you know, some extra exercise, you're going for, going for that run, um, you know, ra- rather than, uh, you know, having the hamburger, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, there, there's got to be some, uh, some, Positive outcomes that, is that like come a from this. social network or somewhere you can like compete with your friends on how much Fitbitting you've yeah, done. Yeah, so on Fitbit.com you can add people and you can compare uh, your days with them and you also get achievements and stuff. Um, I think I've only gotten two. I got one for doing like 5,000 steps in a day, uh, which is not very much, and I got one for doing 15,000. So, um, yeah, I think there must be more above that, but I don't plan on ever finding out because that day where I did 15,000 steps was a big day. And I don't want to. I don't want to work. You don't want to do that every day. All right. <laughs> um, now there, are, there's been a bunch of products in recent days that we've been able to get uh, get our hands on with. Um, now, one of the uh, one of the things that, or a couple of things that arrived here last week. Uh, from Apple, um, new MacBook Air, which is floating around here somewhere. It's under so a bunch it's, of other it's, laptops. Has Sim got his hands on that, or is that no, something else? Hold it's on. still in the box. Definitely not still in the box. Um, hold no, on. I'm not sitting on it. It's pretty oh. light. Oh, there was that it. We we have found it. Somebody okay. uh, put another device on top of it. We have a little bit of a problem with product Somebody. overload at the moment because there are so many new uh, gadgets and especially uh, new laptops and ultrabooks coming out at the moment that it's kind of hard to find things. So one moment. Do, 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 do. 
Dude. And we're back. All right, so I'm just going to hand over the um, the MacBook in some direction to start with. Um, now, the the interesting... And we had a little chat about this last week, but I hadn't had hands-on with it. So the interesting thing about the new MacBook Pro is that it ups the battery life. We've got the 13-inch one here. There's 11 and he a 13. means the air. Sorry, the MacBook. Yeah, thank you. I always need to be corrected. It's good to have somebody sharp who's uh, willing to jump in with that. Willing you, to be a jerk. No um, problem. Um, so 13-inch MacBook, well, there's the 11 as well. But um, the, the big point, we probably talked about this briefly last week, but before we'd had a play with it, was that the, um, I guess the published battery life steps up from seven hours with the last generation to 12 hours with this generation, which is a really big leap. And, of course, there's a whole lot of other you know, behind the scenes changes in terms of, you know, the fact that you got better performance this time around and um, and so on. So, yeah, I tested that out, get a bit of a handle on what is, what's the reality for me in terms of how I, I use it. And, um, yeah, I was finding sort of, I was finding um, sort of 10 plus hours real world battery life out of this, you know, 1.3 kilo um MacBook Air, which I thought is pretty good. We just didn't have any devices in the previous generation that could do that without truckloads of uh, of battery. And when you talk about real-world battery life, are you talking about constant use? Yeah, so this is me sort of sitting, you know, writing little bits and pieces, browsing the web. Um, not something that's too heavy on, on graphics, but, you know, doing doing a few bits and pieces uh, and using Wi-Fi at the same time, such so using the Wi-Fi radio. Obviously, depending on how you utilise a device, you know, the, the battery life could be longer or shorter than my experience. And, you know, if you're running, say, you know, if you've got Flash installed and you're, uh, you know, you've got lots of flash stuff that tends to really, you know, put a heavy load on the processor. Uh, there are all, you know, all sorts of things in terms of, you know, gaming and so on that that's going to use more. Uh, but I thought just, you know, just in terms of um, everyday usage, that was uh, that was pretty pleasing actually. Well, it's similar to a tablet at that point, right? Yeah, and that's where we, I guess where we're moving to is those sort of longer battery lives coming coming into much higher end devices, um, which is pretty cool. And the um, the other one, which um, I've had some more time to play with, that we talked about um, last week, and for those that missed it, that we did it the uh, special episode podcast that we talked about CES that we recorded in Sydney last week. Uh, we also attended um, uh, Intel's Haswell or fourth generation uh, core. Uh, processor or microarchitecture launch and there were a whole lot of products that came out of that and one of the ones that really stood out to me was the new Vio uh, Pro Ultrabooks and um, Sim you've got the 11 inch one there that weighs in it I don't know 880 something grams Um, it's literally as light as uh, an iPad 2 no iPad 1 maybe well we can compare I've got my iPad 2 here well with a smart cover on but still now I never know how to do this I've left. I've actually got digital scales, but I left them at home, um, ah. which we're gonna we're gonna have in here from next week onwards because we're always doing this. Uh, I think it's probably is a, it's a little little bit heavier, but uh, it doesn't sort of feel it because it's a laptop, and you expect it to be real beefy. And uh, yeah, we were comparing it with a tablet yesterday, and a couple of people were saying, "Oh, I'm sure it's lighter than the tablet." I'm, I'm the, not. There aren't also many not made of as much of a significant like metal. Like it's. And, yeah, interesting. They they've used. Uh, I think this is uh, titanium, which is pretty um, you know un- unusual uh, to have, which in in, uh, in theory makes it very very uh, tough. But being so th- small and thin, I imagine if you sort of 
put the weight of your hand on the screen, you could push it back and you know bust the hinges reasonably easy. So <laughs> you're going to have to treat something this light with a bit of uh, niceness. You you know you can't just you know, kick it around like, for instance, the MacBook Pro. Would you know you've got a, a solid piece of um, was it aluminium that it sort of yeah. you know built of that the you know the uni body um, that's going to be much tougher than something like the Vio. And even we compare the Vio Pro to the the MacBook Air, which I remember when they came out, a lot of people were doing damage to their MacBook Airs in the in the early days as they got used to them being you know not as not as strong as the traditional uh, MacBook Pros. I think that you know the same sort of thing applies here. So is this the sort of thing either of you guys would use? Yeah, but my real question is with uh, the Sony Vio stuff, it's always quite expensive. Almost all of Sony's um, gear is on the premium yeah, end. True. Yeah, I mean, and it definitely is. And we, I mean, we saw some very impressive pricing coming through with the new MacBook Airs. I think the 11 inch starting at fourteen forty nine here in New Zealand, and uh, I think you know at the um, higher end, the thirteen inch with the two fifty six gig SSD nineteen hundred. Uh, the Vio Pros is, uh, I think, the eleven inch at um, about twenty two hundred and twenty five hundred for the thirteen inch. So definitely that's quite a exactly, different sort of price yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, that's and exactly it, where it gets me. So unless I buy it through work, it's something that I, I wouldn't consider. Whereas the Macs on the lower end are really affordable for people who just need a light computer. Absolutely, that's- and I think Apple have been really smart there with that pricing and making it really accessible for people to jump in with a MacBook Air. And there were days gone by where you know, you'd really think twice about buying an Apple product because it was quite a premium. But here we've got Apple coming in with a really nice product at a really, you know, really competitive price point. So that's it's good to see. They've definitely brought the price down. Um, now, a couple of other Apple products, and we've got one of them uh, sitting here, which is the new um, Airport Extreme and also the Apple uh, Time Machine. Both of these are new. They look exactly the same. Now, you guys have got the box next to you. Yep. Uh, and I think, I think we've got the product. I just need to turn my head to the left away from the microphone. And Oh, I see it. I see it. Yeah. It does exist. It looks like a tissue paper dispenser. So this, this is a... <laughs> This is interesting. So it's gone from being a uh, you know quite a flat device because both of these look the same uh, the same before uh, to being a, a little bit of a um, a tower, I guess. Um, so they use up a bit less uh, desk space. Uh, but I've been I've been testing uh, these out now. Just to, to clarify the difference between the two, the Airport Extreme is a um, is a Wi Fi. Uh, device now the price on this has actually gone up a little bit, um, but that is because it's got the new um, gigabit generation of uh, Wi-Fi in it, uh, 802.11ac being the technical term, draft standard. Um, I think probably should be in brackets there somewhere as well, uh, but able to deliver much uh, much faster uh, wireless by using the um, um, the five gigahertz uh, range as well as the two point four that we've you know had in in most mainstream uh, wireless in the past. Uh, so that's what the Airport uh, Extreme delivers, as well as um, network ports and a USB connection on it, so you can plug in a hard drive and do, for instance, backups from your MacBook. Um, using Time Machine straight through to to that drive sitting across your network, which is quite handy. Uh, and the the Apple Time Machine is essentially the same product, but with a hard drive inside it. Uh, so, yeah, and that, but but with the focus on the Time Machine being that you can uh, you can do those backups and so on. And you know, for your money, you also happen to get that uh, that super fast wireless. Uh, so 
yeah, that's um, that's pretty cool. Um, now I mentioned the price of the airport extreme from the previous one's gone up, and if I'm not wrong, that's now uh, three hundred nineteen dollars. Uh, but what has happened with this generation is the Apple Time Machine has come down a chunk in price. I think we're talking seven, around seven hundred and seventy nine uh, for the three terabyte uh, one in the past. And this one has come down to. Let me just just double check that uh, that pricing. While Sim's waving something uh, in in front of me, just to confuse me, so so, so that I get. <laughs> I thought it I might get, be related. I'm like, no, it's what, completely unrelated. What, what What are you doing? You're confusing me. Um. Oh yeah. So the Apple, the new Airport Extreme is um is three three hundred and nineteen dollars. Um. And the new time machine pricing is... Oh, now, a quick question for both of you. This new uh, gigabit wireless, is it of interest to you? Do you think this is something that we that we need just it's yet? It's interesting you say that because the first time I actually heard about the AC standard was um, yesterday at uh, a course test lab. And it's something that's been rolled Clearly out. Clearly not a former PC welder. Yeah. So obviously, I don't I don't do this kind of uh, stuff quite often. Um, but it's something that's been rolled out in uh, a lot of the fiber builds with the uh, the Wi-Fi units that are mm. put in some uh, uh, of the internal units. Yeah. So uh, I guess it, if Chorus is building it out into the new homes, into the new fiber builds, it'll be of interest to anyone who's considering fiber in the future. Yeah, if you really want to get those, you know, those maximum speed, it makes a difference. You do need to be quite close to it to get the uh, to get the best results. Um, now that back to that pricing, um, the two terabyte um, airport time capture was now four hundred and twenty nine dollars, and the three terabyte five seventy nine. Um, so it makes it pretty accessible. You're not paying a whole lot more than just getting um, the airport to get the time capture with a with a disk inside, which is is nice. Um, all right, now couple more uh, couple more topics to to uh, run through. Oh, the the um, yeah, and a reminder: definitely listen into that in between episode because there are a couple of other things that we discussed discussed on that, um, including some of our hands on time uh, with the first uh, Windows eight tablet in an eight inch form factor. Uh, now. Fairfax have made a little um, media announcement in the last few days. Siobhan, yes. can you just sort of share with us what, what that is? Um, well, basically, things have been going downhill ever since Sim left. Um, it's true. Oh. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. That's what it says um, in the release, don't worry. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really say much other than what is already public knowledge and in the press release. Uh Basically, uh, Fairfax has resigned its licenses um, on Computer World, PC World, and Reseller News. It's holding on to CIO uh, Magazine, which is also uh, an IDG license. Um, it's, to the best of my knowledge, the last issue um, of PC World is releasing in early July. Same thing for the other two. So... Um, from here on out we're just I mean we're business as usual for now um, getting in getting our last issue done and then yeah we'll, that's, we'll see that's what the focus. IDG yeah. says IDG said in that release um, that they have they plan to continue to service the market in some way 
I know nothing about right. that. And, um, and probably you're you you know you're not able to comment too much because you're in the in the middle of those. No, uh, you know, the, the, but those that's processes. completely out of my pay grade yeah. anyway. <laughs> so, Sim, you I mean you were working with with Fairfax up until uh, yeah uh, probably what about around the beginning of the year was when uh, yeah late last year I yeah. left uh, Computer World to come here. Yep. Um, so pretty pretty sad news to uh, you know it, it to, is yeah, and your ex colleagues sort of you know having to go through. Obviously, a change where the, the, these magazines are shut down. I mean, personally, I've been uh, you know reading uh, some of these publications for well, I don't want to say how many years because <laughs> I'll sound like some really old guy, but uh, uh, quite 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 a long time. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Computer World has been around for about twenty five years, I think, uh, and I think we celebrated that the first year I came on board. Mm. Um, so it has a history. It has a legacy that. At one point, the sad thing is, at one point, and even the recent two thousands, it was profitable. It had good readership. It had nice staff, and so did PC World. So did Reseller News. You know, the unit had it was a working business. And what seems to have happened is Fairfax came on, stripped it for parts, took as much profit as it could back to its Australian uh, company, and left the remains here to operate as much as it could on what few resources it had. And uh, I think up until I was brought on board, it, it was a few years since they last hired someone into the computer world and CIO group. And I was half shared between two, uh, you know, re, uh, two publications. So, and I wasn't replaced either. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of shows there wasn't enough respect given for the kind of work these publications do in, in the IT space. Well, they've, they've played a pretty important uh, role within the technology community for a long time. And you mentioned Computer World, you know, being around for for over, uh, you know, 25 years. And, you know, showing, showing my age, I used to uh, pick up Computer World on my way home from uh, school when it would be published in the in the late eighties, uh, and you know would be fascinated by what was going on in this you know this technology world and you know reading all sorts of terms and things that I didn't uh, didn't understand. Uh, but you know it was a publication that really helped educate me and you know taught me a lot about what was going on uh, in the technology sector. Uh, you know probably helped me think about it as a good place to be working. Uh, I think it, you know it was probably there that I found out about a particular course that I ended up doing it. Uh, um, what has become AUT and so on. So, I mean, there there are so many things that have come out of, of having uh, these publications really as a, as a key part of the um, the technology community. Um, from your perspective, do you see that the change uh, you know in the publishing world and the move to online as, as playing a big uh, you know a big part in this? I mean, it's much harder to get people to subscribe and pay for a magazine. These days, when so much information is available, you know, for free on online, I can imagine, you know, a, a teenager today isn't going to go and buy a, a, you know, a copy of Computer World if they're interested in technology. They're going to be looking at actually Not if probably, they want to be cool. you know, dozens, dozens of other online resources. Yeah, thanks it, for it that. Seems ox- like a big, <laughs> it seems like a big oxymoron that you're trying to sell print. Uh, a news that's two weeks old to a group of IT managers and technologists. So I can see what happened there. A- and the ad revenues from online wasn't supporting the print business. So it, it what I'm hoping will happen from all this is Fairfax doesn't completely lose its technology news aspect and that it, it picks up something or, or it keeps some sort of a technology base for that little green section towards the bottom of stuff.co.nz, some New Zealand content. 
Um, I don't know if it will, but uh, that's what I'm hoping. And uh, there was a lot of talented people there. Mm. There are a lot of talented people there, Absolutely. and I hope. And I know they'll find you know find their way in the world. So yeah, I think I think some people um, have been saying you know that that we're going to be losing a lot of expertise, and I, but I don't think that's true. I think the um, people who are there are really talented people, um, and I think you know they're not going to go away. Uh, some of them, there may be the odd one that moves into PR, but I, th- I don't think we're losing that expertise. It'll just go elsewhere. And there, se- there seems to be quite a bit of you know buzz around what the next stage looks like, and that's you know that could be a uh, you know a new publisher starting up, it could be an existing publisher, uh, you know signing a deal with IDG to take on the PC world, computer world, reseller, uh, news brands. I mean, we don't really know exactly what that looks like. I think you know, there might be some uh, discussions we can have outside of a public context about that we're not going to have on the podcast today uh but you know and you know probably in the weeks ahead we're, you know more information will be available you know uh publicly in terms of what actually that uh, that landscape's gonna going to uh going to look like but yeah i think you know a reality is is this uh uh, you know, move away from uh, from print media um, puts a lot of pressure on organisations that and publishers in the past that uh, might have been able to uh, you know get away with with not running things maybe as um, yeah uh, efficiently or whatever as they potentially could have done. Um, now moving on to a couple of other topics, uh, Google has acquired a um, an Israeli company called uh, called Waze. Now this is uh, this is an interesting one um, because Waze, I guess, in some ways is uh, is Lol. A, <laughs> yeah yeah okay um, is kind of a as a poor Google Maps. Uh, you know, most people, if they've got Google Maps on their device, would tend to use that in preference to Waze uh, most of the time. Any thoughts on why sort of Google spent? I think it's a billion US dollars on uh, on this acquisition. It's easier to acquire than build your own software, and that's just it, really. Because mm-hmm. Waze is sort of a community-fed uh, mapping tool, isn't it? So that you know the data gets actually you know fed in by by the users. Uh, it's been available for quite some time. I think you know it was first available on uh, on Windows Mobile. You know, ahead of uh, you know iPhone going back all those years. Uh, you would think that Google's got enough good mapping info. Do you think it's some of the social aspects of ways where users are able to feed in and say, "Hey, there's a, there's uh, you know, police on this corner. There's a, uh, you know, there's an accident at this particular location at a moment in time." Those sort of social aspects is that what stands out? Well, Google's definitely trying to do social in a bigger way, and I think it's strategically a good idea to buy up um, a company if you feel like they might potentially one day in the future be any kind of threat to you so uh i think it is a bit of um you know there's probably several good reasons for google to buy ways and it gets google to critical mass much quicker Mm. so one of the thoughts i had is that that google must be paying other companies quite a lot of money for access to some of their you know their data about you know their mapping data and so on because google didn't come up with all this stuff themselves they've you know they've done that through uh through other uh you know partnerships and so on and if Waze ends up with 
awesome you know data then you don't actually need to buy someone else's maps because it's been given to you free by that community so in some ways that data in itself might be worth a billion dollars to google and you know open up things that they can uh, that they can do and i'm sure they're paying more now than they used to in the early days uh where you uh you know you could just use google online you couldn't download maps they must be paying higher licensing in order to uh you allow people to download maps and so on um now one uh one other bit this week uh facebook has launched hashtags is facebook becoming twitter (laughs) is facebook becoming twitter i don't know i i think uh facebook is is has always been more than twitter twitter twitter's charm is its stripped downness um but i think i i don't know i think it's kind of a an obvious idea. Uh, I, I think we should get away from the idea that hashtags are owned by Twitter. Because yeah. you have hashtags on Tumblr. Absolutely. You have hashtags everywhere. Yeah. But just, they, I guess they, they, the did norm. they start on Twitter though? Well, n- no. I mean, I think because when people were tagging websites, websites, websites back in the day, <laughs> yeah. you know, they would, they would sometimes use hashtags. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably where Twitter got it from so you know you'd post like a blog post and then it mm. would have a hashtag um attached to a tag that so it might be like wearable tech or mm. something mm. like that and it would, yeah i think tag that's it. probably yeah. where i mean it was literally a tag right so the the hashtag is the obvious symbol to represent that i think yeah yeah okay Cool. Well, um, yeah, that's now on. So uh, if you're in Facebook and you see something tagged, you can now click on it to see more or you can go and uh, search for tagged stuff, which is uh, all seems to work. We just had a little play. Lastly, we have three quick fire pieces of news. Uh, Blackberry's Z10 handset, which we talked about a couple of episodes ago, uh, available on Telecom and Vodafone networks in New Zealand this week. Uh, Vodafone's pricing it at $999. Uh, we expect Telecom will probably be at the same uh, level, but we haven't got that confirmed yet. Uh, great news regarding 4G LTE mobile services in New Zealand. Two Degrees have just confirmed to us that they have reached an agreement with Huawei to upgrade their existing 3G network uh, to 4G in early 2014. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we'll look forward to that rolling out uh, next year. And also Two Degrees have secured a $165 million credit facility uh, from the Bank of New Zealand. Uh, no doubt that's going to help with funding the uh, delivery of 4G services to uh, to Two Degrees customers. And Orcon will be launching an, uh, an exciting product tomorrow that they're going to be making available to their existing customers for free. So, Uh, So stay tuned for that announcement on Wednesday. Um, but hey, that's us for this week on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So thank you everybody for uh, for listening in. Uh, now, Chavon, where do we find you in the online world? What's your you're on Twitter? Yep, um, I'm at Chavon K O N Z on Twitter. If you can spell it, you can follow me. There'll be a link at the on the post on nztechpodcast.com. <laughs> so that's a quick and easy way to uh, to track down uh, Chavon. Oh, and I'm Semantics uh, Sim as I am Antics. Cool. And uh, and we can track you down also um, at Idealog Magazine? Uh, Idealog.co.nz, yep. Okay, cool. Well, uh, that's good. And uh, I'm pretty easy to track down at Paul Spain on Twitter and um, also on, 
on Facebook and, and Google Plus and, uh, and the like. Uh, and, of course, uh, you can uh, track uh, the podcast in those same social networks and at nztechpodcast.com. So uh, thank you all very much for listening in. We will uh, we'll catch you next week on the next episode. See ya. Bye.